Today is week three in a sermon series called True Identity. Pastor Stan preached last week. I listened to his sermon in a rental car on our way to our destination. Pastor Marcus was kind enough to speak the week prior, sharing that in Christ, our rejection is replaced by acceptance. Our guilt and shame, glory to God, are replaced by innocence, and our weakness is replaced by self-control. That because God became man, because he endured the cross, he died the death that we ought to have died, and we are restored to relationship with the Father. We are no longer rejected, we are welcomed, and we belong to the family of God. I hope some of you begin carrying yourselves in light of that truth. Amen? That we are his kids. We are not living apart from the Lord. He is near us. He's transcendent, sure. He's incredibly huge and the author of everything that science has discovered and yet to discover. He's also imminent. He's close to us. He is our friend. He cares about us. And often, unfortunately, we can have thoughts like these. But surely the grace of God isn't for me. Surely the grace of God is too good to be true. Surely it doesn't apply to this sinner. Listen to me this morning. You are not the exception to the rule. God loves you. You are loved. You are his son or his daughter. You do not usurp the rule of God's grace. It's actually your pride that's talking if you think you're too bad for God's grace. You're not. Your sin is not bigger than God's grace. It does not outweigh God's grace. David and Jessica said it in leading us in communion this morning. The grace of God that is available to everyone here is absolutely available to you. So if you have admitted or uh, confessed and repented of your sin, you have been forgiven by God, whether you feel like you have or not. My grandpa used to tell me, Zach, you won't always feel like you're saved. You won't always feel like you're forgiven. You've got to know it in your knower. So let me remind you to know it in your knower this morning. You're forgiven by his grace. So pick your head up and live like it. Amen? Amen. You say, but I knew better. Listen, most of us know better. And we've still sinned. Your knowing better doesn't change the reality of God's grace and its ability to cover over everything that you've messed up. Jesus even died for our ongoing stubbornness in accepting his forgiveness. 
Listen, according to Christ, you are adopted into his kingdom. You have brothers and sisters. How glorious is that? In a book called Victory Over the Darkness by Neil T. Anderson, upon which the series is loosely based, I recently read a number of I am statements that are fully supported by Scripture. I'm going to read you some of my favorites and you, I'm hoping, might personalize them this morning. Now, for the note-takers in the room, the avid note-takers, I'm going to ask you to do something that you're uncomfortable with and put your pen down so that you do not miss these, okay? Because I'm going to give you these next week as a handout to close out the series. You can take them home with you, all right? I don't want the smoke that's rising from your page to distract you from what I'm going to read to you today. So please put your pen down, and I'd like to ask everybody in the room to just lightly close your eyes. John 1 says, I am God's child. John 15 declares, I am Christ's friend. 1 Corinthians 6 teaches us, I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I belong to God. Ephesians 1 declares, I have been adopted as God's child. Ephesians 2, I have direct access to God by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, I am free from condemnation and any charges that have been leveled against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. 2 Corinthians 1, I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God himself. Philippians 3, I am a citizen of heaven. 2 Timothy 1, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and discipline. Hebrews 4, I can find grace and mercy in my time of need. 1 John 5, I am born of God, and the evil one cannot Touch me. Let me read that one again. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. John 15. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. Acts 1.8. I am a personal witness to Christ. Ephesians 2, I am God's workmanship. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now look up at me. How many of you would say, boy, having the word washed over me, that felt good. That feels good, amen? To have the truth of God ring out over you every last word. It's all true 
of you. And now, having, I hope, boosted your confidence, I would like for you to brace yourself for a twist of irony that dovetails into what I'm actually here to talk to you about this morning. These statements are also true of others. So we're going to talk today about forgiveness. Forgiveness is your next step of being free in Jesus Christ. We simply cannot be eager to take our sins to the foot of the cross and take other people's sins to our heart. Let me say that again. We can't be so eager to gleefully accept God's forgiveness for ourselves and be less willing to extend it to those who have harmed us or hurt us. Their sins belong at the same place. Their sins belong at the foot of the cross too. Amen? Amen. And this is so important to ultimately being free in Jesus. The late Louis B. Smeads of the Reformed tradition said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner was you all along. Church, the ability to forgive, to see other sins as able to be washed over by the bought blood of Jesus Christ as our own sins is what sets us free ultimately to live as God intends. If someone has hurt you to the point that you are unable to move past that, they're still hurting you. So how do we stop the pain? We stop the pain through forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't a gift to those who have hurt us as much as forgiveness is a, is a gift to ourselves. Let me say that again. Forgiveness isn't as much a gift to those who have hurt us as it is to us. We don't forgive others for their sake. We forgive others for our sake. We let someone off our hook trusting that who is the great judge? God is the great judge. He's the one who will make all right in the end. God is just as free to let others off his hook as he is letting us off his hook. Amen. 
Now that was a lengthy introduction to a text that many of you will recognize. I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to look at it nearly verse by verse. I'll draw out a few takeaways. And then for all of you eager note-takers, we're going to conclude our morning with seven steps. Oh, our note-takers are getting excited. (laughs) Seven steps to forgive those that Christ also died for. So will you stand with me this morning? In honor of the Lord's word, I'm going to read this to you. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? How many of you are like, boy, that was generous, Peter? Up to seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, not seven, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before the master. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him and began to choke him and demanded, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees And begged him, please be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But the servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this, Jesus said, is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister, from your heart. You may be seated. Jesus' reply to, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister is not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus' reply isn't, As many of you know about a specific number, it was about a principle. Jesus may have well responded this way, Peter, how many times would you like to be forgiven of your sins? Well, then that's how many times you should forgive your brother or sister. And then Jesus begins to tell 
a story. Within Judaism, there was circling about the idea that forgiving someone three times was sufficient enough to have a forgiving spirit. This is based on sayings of the Lord in the first couple chapters of the book of Amos and also in the book of Job. So Peter must have thought he was being beyond fair and increasing the number from three times that he was willing to forgive his brother or sister to seven times. I mean, that was more than twice as much. And that was until Jesus effectively told Peter that actually true disciples of Jesus aren't keeping count. We continue to forgive. This does not mean we forget. This does not mean that we submit ourselves to recurring abuse. But it does mean that we are able to move past bitterness so that we do not continue to live in misery. Then Jesus tells this story of the parable of the unforgiving servant, sometimes called the parable of the unmerciful servant. The story's meaning is easily understood. A servant is forgiven a debt by his master, yet he is absolutely hell-bent on holding those beneath him accountable for the debts that they owe. Jesus makes the point how quickly we are to stand wholly under the fountain of God's accomplished work on the cross ourselves and yet simultaneously hold the offenses of our brothers and sisters close to our hearts and hug them and embrace them and cling to them. There are three quick observations I'd like to make on the parable itself. First, the master was lenient. Did you notice this in the reading? The servant's master took pity on the man, canceled his debts, and let him go. And then when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. It's not that the master takes sin lightly. It's not that the master thought lightly of debt. It's that the master, on the servant's request, granted him gratuitous compassion. He was moved. Yesterday, Shannon and I were filling up gas right before dropping a rental car off. And Shannon sees a homeless person leaning against the wall of the gas station riding something on the sidewalk with a rock. And she had wrapped up a bagel that morning and some cream cheese. And a, she had a, a can of water. And she said, she just began to have tears streaming down her eyes. And she said, just swing by that man. I just want to give him my bagel. And she had compassion. She had a thought, by the way, that her pastor husband didn't have. God moved her toward leniency. This master was 
lenient. There was clemency. It's not that he was taking the guy's debt um, as it were um, frivolous matter or haphazard. No, the favor that the, servant, that the servant received was unmerited. It was unwarranted. And church family, you and I have absolutely been given unmerited grace by God. We don't deserve his goodness. It's not as though that our debt wasn't significant. We sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. In fact, that's what makes the work of the master so special. We don't deserve it. And yet Jesus, over and over again, how many of you have continued to experience this throughout your lifetime? He freely dispenses his grace. Again and again, I'm reminded of the lyrics of one of my all-time favorite hymns, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Hallelujah, What a Savior. The melody is hauntingly beautiful, but the lyrics are what really get me. Now, here's the deal. I normally am way too insecure to lead you in singing a song, okay? Historically, I don't even like singing pastors. Like, why does he have to do that? He's got a worship leader. But here's the deal. You happen to catch me on my return from an edifying conference. And I want to sing this morning. But I'm not going to sing as well as Justin or anybody else on the team, but I'm still going to sing. And I'm going in to invite you, tenors and sopranos and altos and baritones and basses, to sing along with me. And you say, but I don't know, hallelujah, what a Savior. Today's your day. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to sing hallelujah, what a Savior. So would you please stand with me? This morning, we're going to sing one of my favorite hymns. This is for me. This is entirely selfish. I want to hear you all singing this morning. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to sing the stanzas. You guys are going to sing the fourth line of each stanza. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's only one line. Okay? And this is what the line sounds like. Are you ready? Say yes. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You think you can handle that? Here we go. One, two, three. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Beautiful. Well, let's try that again. That was like mezzo piano. We're going to go forte. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah, what a Savior. All right, now, don't let your apprehension about when your part's coming cause you to miss the lyrics of the stanzas, okay? Here they come. I'm going to sing them to you. And then you're going to join me. Are you ready? Say yes. All right. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. 
What a Savior, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Now here's what I do without a band. I push it higher and higher and higher. So I'm going to drop down a step or two, okay? So we'll be able to finish this thing. This is why we pay Justin. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he, full atonement can it be, hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a savior. When he comes, our now this is the thing about hymns. The last stanza always talks about heaven. Not always, often. This is beautiful. Are you ready? This is the verse about glory. Here we go. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, this anew his song will sing. Hallelujah, what a say again. Hallelujah, what a save. One more time. Hallelujah, what a savior. That was beautiful. Give yourselves a hand. Awesome. You may be seated. Here's the thing. Now in heaven, he's exalted high. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransom home to bring. Wouldn't you agree he's been lenient, the master, toward us? He's taking us into his home. He has gentleness toward us. Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. You know the rest of this. Slow to anger and rich or abundant in love. Here's a second quick and obvious observation. The servant was unreasonably severe toward his fellow servant. The servant was unreasonably severe. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, and he grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, please be patient with me. Note it's almost the exact same words parroted as what the original servant said to his master. And instead, he refused, and this servant threw him into prison until he could pay our debt. See, it's not that we should make light of what our neighbors owe us. Rather, we're not to aggravate it. We ought 
not embrace it. We ought not grow fond of it. We certainly ought not to study revenge as an option. See, when you see in others the same afflictions that you have, when you see in others the same wounds that you have, that you're asking God's grace to cover, you won't treat them as severely. You'll treat them as the master has treated you. Number three, the master was indignant and reproved his servant's cruelty. The master was angry. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything And the master called the servant in. What did he say? You wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours. Shouldn't you too have had mercy? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is what I want to communicate in closing. Forgiveness is an important step in being free in Jesus Christ. It is so valuable. This is a part of discovering your true identity in Jesus. It's having the maturity of compassion to forgive others. Listen, a life transformed, a heart transformed, yields a way of being that offers the same mercy to others as we have received in Jesus. And let me tell you, if you learn to do this, man, will the chains fall off. If you learn to do this, man, will life become sweeter. You won't be further traumatized you won't be further triggered every time you think of that individual. Every time you see that person at the grocery store. Why? Because you'll continue to take their sin to the same place that your sins belong. Which is the foot of the cross. So I'm about to get real practical in closing. Note takers, get ready. Here are the steps to forgiveness. I would invite you to do this as I give them to you. Number one, ask the Lord to reveal who you need to forgive. I'll tell you this, for 95% of people, it's their parents. Three out of the top four names are most often family. And the two most overlooked people that we ought to ask forgiveness from are God and ourselves. You can repeat this exercise anytime, anywhere. For now, I would like for you to Go an additional step and write down a name, but not somebody that's in this room. I'm sparing you from a tough ride home. (laughs) Two, 
acknowledge the hurt and hate. Admit that you're wounded. State specifically what you're forgiving that person for. Rejection, injustice, unfairness, racism, abuse, theft, betrayal, you name it. How have you been hurt? Number three, embrace the justice of the cross. Remember, the cross makes everything fair and everything right. Jesus took how many of the sins upon himself? All sins. Your sins, their sins. He died once and for all. The step includes any confessing on your part on what you did wrong in the process. Number four, this is key. Surrender your desire to get even. Surrender your desire to retaliate. Give that to Jesus. Galatians calls this carrying one another's burdens. Refuse to use their sins against them moving forward. Don't continue to make them pay by withholding things from them or by being tough with them. Number five, take your list to God and pray. Lord, I forgive so-and-so for this and that. For me, it's a guy named Gary. None of you know him. Lord, I forgive Gary for this and that. Don't say, I'd like to forgive. Don't say, I want to forgive. Don't make it hypothetical. Say, Lord, I forgive. Remember, this isn't about them. It's about you. Number six, destroy the list. You are now free. You don't need to tell the person that you did this. This is between you and God. This person may even be dead. The person may be deceased. It's okay. Again, it's not about them. And number seven, last one, pray for them. If they're living, pray for them. This is about your freedom. I don't know if you have noticed, but it's very hard for me to harbor bitterness in my heart against someone that I'm regularly praying for. It's hard to hold on to that. So pray for them. Might I pray for you in closing? Will you bow your head? Heavenly Father, I pray that some individuals here, Lord, that you might free them from something that has had them strangled for a number of years or even decades. Lord, I pray that they would put the sins that have been committed against them at the same place that they put their own sins, Lord, and that they refuse to get even. Lord, I pray that your healing would wash over them this morning in Jesus' name.
and that today is a new day, that they might experience your mercy today, that they might hear the birds in a new way, that they might see the sunshine and feel it in a new way. Lord, that they would be lighter as a result of casting their cares on you, knowing that you will make all things well in the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you guys. We hope uh, you're doing awesome. And look forward to next week as we finish the series. If you'd like prayer, the prayer teams will be available to you this morning. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.